Hi everyone, and welcome to Elite Rugby SNC podcast. First off, if you haven't already, sign up and join Elite Rugby SNC today. We provide you all your strength, conditioning, speed, and recovery needs. You can try before you buy, so try our seven-day, seven-dollar trial to get a taste of what we offer here at Elite Rugby SNC. Sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So take your game to the next level, become a beast, and join Elite Rugby SNC today. Today, I am joined on the podcast with Ben Tweeter who is a rugby union athlete, business owner, and one of the best barbers in Australia. Ben has been playing rugby since he was a young boy growing up in Tonga, before he moved over to Australia when he was 18 to live and play rugby. On this episode, we discuss the life lessons rugby has taught us over the years. Ben talks about the Polynesian community connection to rugby and how to create a positive culture. We discuss the importance of strength and conditioning, like we always do on the podcast. And Ben also discusses his journey to becoming one of the best barbers in Australia and owning his own business. This was an awesome episode, and I appreciate Ben taking time out to speak with me today. Enjoy. So, g'day, Ben. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um... You know, it was all right uh, coming into this. So when I agreed to hop on, it was all right. But now, pretty nervous, you know? <laughs> oh, it's, it's all good. The first one's always the hardest if you've, um, if, you, if it's your first time doing a podcast. But it's just a, a natural conversation. And, yeah, it's really good to have you on today. So what did you get up to today? Uh, not too much. Day off today from the, the barber shop, which I'm sure we'll get into later on about what I do and stuff. I taught a class at CIT, teach the barber class over there. And then uh, hopped into the to the gym and then some sauna before rushing into to hop on this podcast. That's uh, awesome. Sounds like a good day. Mm. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, that's good. So growing up as a young lad, how did you start playing rugby? Uh, so so I grew up in, in Tonga and um, I guess everyone would know in the rugby community that um, you know the only sports that we'd play in Tonga is basically rugby and then a little bit of rugby league. Um, so yeah, uh, growing up in Tonga, all my cousins played rugby, you know, everyone in the family played rugby. Like it's all you did. You got to school early before, before the first bell to play rugby and played rugby at recess, lunch, sort of after school. So, um, yeah, that's basically how it started. That's awesome. I think that, yeah, playing before, during and after school is just something I can remember as well. Like we always used to play touch footy, you know, as the teachers would like to say over here, but you'd, it always turned into tackle, but it was always just something you did. And I think that's where yeah. everyone got a lot of skills from and some of the best players got their skills from was just playing um, with their mates at, at lunchtime or, or before and after school, just chucking the footy around. And yeah, it's such good, su- such good memories. Mm. Oh, so that's right. Like I think I find like a lot of the rugby games that I do watch, a lot of commentators always seem to comment on, you know, mainly the Fijians or, you know, and then the rest of the Polynesian Islands as well and how skillful, you know, the props are and, and the forwards. And I, I put it down to that, like, you know, everyone's sort of playing touch or some form of rugby from a young age. And it's not as structured down in the islands. So everyone's throwing cutouts or trying to play 5-8, even if you've got the... Uh, prop physique mm. <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's just all those one percenters that 
all all add up to to the to the game and the skills. And just like you said, um, a lot of the the Fijian boys, when you see them on the seven circuit or just playing fifteens, some of the stuff that they can do is just um, just incredible. Mm. Yeah, and I think I, I put it down again to to sort of playing after school and before school and things like that. Like I said, we don't have any academies over there, but um, everyone's just sort of playing this unstructured. You know, sort of the things that the uh, Polynesian community enjoy about rugby is the the sort of, you know, playmaking and, and breaking tackles and running. And I think, you know, you get a lot of that in the islands, even if we don't have programs like they do here at Pathways. Mm, 100%. And, and so, some of the best tries that you do see in rugby come from that unstructured play, coming from that that counterattack when there's been a knock-on or there's a, a kick-in play and just playing what's in front of you and if you got those skills down packed and if you've been playing that type of rugby since you're younger it's just going to come naturally and you'll see the game a lot better and you'll score those ridiculous tries that we do see yeah yeah i think like i don't know if you've seen that documentary uh the pacific warriors where the the fijian players sort of when they they talk about when they beat whales at the world cup and um, they sort of said the game sort of fell into the way they like to play. Right? They get more excited when, uh, when the game goes a bit more unstructured. And, you know, sometimes, like, even though they've got the physical capabilities, the Fijian players are saying when it becomes too structured, like, you know, going to set piece and things like that, they can sort of drift out of the game mentally, you know. Mm. But I think that's why uh, the Polynesian uh, teams have that sort of draw card with, with fans is because, you know, that unstructured play, like you said, brings out the more exciting aspects of rugby it's also such a wild card game when uh top tier nation such as the wallabies or new zealand play a samoa or tonga um, and they're expected to win but tonga or samoa just throw out this unique style of gameplay and mm. it can be very um challenging for the wallabies and all blacks to sort of i don't know just get a game plan and actually play the game because I, I remember it was a few years ago now, Samoa um, beat the Wallabies quite convincingly in, in Sydney and they just yeah. played such a unique game and the Wallabies had nothing. They had nothing to counteract any of it. And yeah, it was just, uh, it was a bad day to be a Wallaby supporter because you're expected to win, but it was just incredible to see yeah, the Samoans um, just play this unstructured rugby and, and have a lot of fun doing it. I think it was a bad day to be a, a Tongan supporter as well because... You know, Tonga always wants to be the first one or, or definitely would remind other Polynesian islands of when they beat the Wallabies or <laughs> things like that. Yeah, so low-key, like I think like a lot of my uncles and that when Samoa was winning, you know, you sort of low-key want Australia to win because you don't want Samoa to have the, the bragging rights there. But mm. I remember the game, yeah. 100%. <clears throat> so what have been some of your favourite memories playing rugby? Favourite memories playing rugby? Um... I think most of them have to come, you know, unlike a lot of people on your podcast, you know, I never made it as far as, as some of the guys on here. So most of my memories came from early on in Tonga playing, you know, when you didn't have uh, the real pressures of or, or structure in the play. <clears throat> I think it's, it's sort of where a lot of Polynesian kids can sort of fall off or, or progress further. But definitely mine would be uh, younger, you know, when you're when there's not as many pressures or or there's not as much structure in the play. Playing rugby in Tonga was was a bit more um, uh, free-flowing, you know. There's sort of, you know, there wasn't really any training on game plan and things like that. It was it was more so just to use your physical attributes. So I think 
when I think about it and, and when I've spoken to a lot of other mates who've played professionally, it's that transition from when rugby is just fun to when it becomes sort of your career or a job, uh, it changes a little bit in their mind. So definitely mine's like all my favorite memories would have to come from, you know, before, before 20 or something, you know, playing, playing rugby in the backyard with, with family and friends or, or just school rugby in Tonga, really. Mm. No, it's very interesting that you say that because my sort of thing would be the complete opposite is trying to and counteract the the players like yourself those natural um, abilities that you have trying to play structure that makes you a bit tired and um, try and go to the side of a shoulder instead of running straight at you and getting uh, put on a highlight reel so it's very interesting that you say unstructured whereas yeah growing up it was more structure play to your strengths and um, try and run the bigger boys around so you don't get uh, hit um, hard by them and can um, wear them out a bit yeah and i think like you know you, you see it in, in i don't know if you watch much of the schoolboys rugby but definitely i think um uh as rugby becomes more structured and more professional you've seen the tongan schoolboys and the tongan development teams fall a lot or you know a lot behind like some of the teams that you wouldn't expect to to progress further like the south american teams you know you see georgia now um, Tonga doesn't really feature in any of those sort of under 20 competitions. Like they seem to lose to all these teams like Uruguay and Chile and that. And I think it's because, you know, when I was growing up, that's sort of what you sort of enjoy in the islands. You, you want people to run straight at you so you can put big hits on. It's almost encouraged in Tonga that you run straight and show that, you know, you're more physical and just things like that. I don't think, uh, you know, they don't transfer over to where the game's going. But um, definitely for me, and like I think like when you watch rugby these days, uh, the Tonga and Samoan Fijian teams seem to thrive more when it's you know more free flowing, when there's a lot more running involved and not as much set piece of structure. So yeah, all my fondest memories come from you know when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. No, that's awesome. So what are some of the the life lessons rugby has taught you over your career? Um. Man, hindsight has to be, you know, a beautiful thing, as they, as they sort of say. For me, I didn't realize when I was in rugby, sort of the lessons that it was teaching me. But now, I guess we'll talk about this later, uh, going into to owning my own business or barbershop, um, I realized how important some of those lessons were in rugby. So I think even uh, a cliche of simple things like teamwork, you know, um, I think for rugby, rugby shows people visually uh, things that you might need to understand mentally about business or, or anything in life. You know, I think, uh, you probably remember playing rugby and all the fitness sessions where, you know, if you, if you leave gaps or if you don't put in an effort to get onto the line or or do the suicides or the Malcolms and stick with the team and, and stick through that in the game, you'll leave gaps that let your teammates down, you know, little things like that. Um, sticking to processes you know your coaches can come up with uh game plans and you know there's a lot of things that can happen in a rugby game that's so chaotic and in real time where you might start to rely on emotions and go away from the game plan you know uh and then that's the same within life and in business there's a lot of things emotionally that can make you make decisions that might not be best for your team or for your business you know and i think little things like that i didn't realize at the time when I was playing rugby, but definitely now a lot of my, a lot of my uh, structures in place at work have to do with in hindsight, what I learned from rugby, you know, how can I create little 
activities or, or little um, training sessions within our team that sort of encourage uh, little things that, you know, will visually show them like fitness sessions at rugby or, or like a moment in the game when, when things aren't going your way to try and stick to the process instead of relying on how you feel emotionally. I think those, yeah, those sort of things. Um, you've always, uh, I think, like even listening, uh, I don't know if you've seen John Alomu's documentary, he sort of said rugby is like a fast way of living life. And, you know, when I watched that before, I didn't understand. And now I sort of, I think most of the important lessons I've learned that I use in life and business now, you know, were transparent in rugby if I look back. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. What are some of the things you like to do with your team to build that cohesion and, and sense of, um, I don't know, just camaraderie within the group? So, yeah, a lot of things, uh, I think in meetings, we'll initially speak about, I think I got this from uh, uh, watching a lot of Eddie Jones and Robbie Deans and rugby. Uh, they sort of speak a lot about getting the group to come up with your core values and morals for the team. Uh, and they sort of talk about when things get tough, mainly on the rugby field, there's a lot of things that can go wrong where if it's just told to them or spoken to them from an authoritative figure, then uh, they probably won't believe in it. Whereas if they come up with it themselves, you know, they'll more so believe in it because they're coming up with those things. So with the boys at the shop, we sort of sat down initially and we come up with these different values and morals. And then how does that relate to other things in the business like client experience or things like that, that they can sort of rely on outside of how they might feel sometimes, you know? Um, as far as exercises, there's not that many things like we do team lunches and things like that to sort of build camaraderie. Uh, and a lot of the times I, you know, I throw in little tests for them. You know, I might, might, uh, watch them for two or three weeks to see how they handle certain situations, you know, like training sessions we have at the moment where every Tuesday they have to bring a client in and then we sort of work through with them on how we can improve their skill. And um, I think like Eddie Jones with a lot of the teams he does, he sort of leaves it up to them to take responsibility for those things. Like I don't ever want to have to sit over and micromanage everyone saying, have you got, you know, your client for tomorrow's training session or anything like that? I sort of want to build that sort of uh, responsibility for themselves. But there's not as many things, definitely not in, well, I can't conceive anything at the moment, uh, like little sessions like we do in rugby to sort of, you know, add to it. You might show me on this podcast or something. Yeah, who knows? Oh, yeah, I, th I think that's awesome how you're building ownership of, mm. of your team. And it's, it's something that you got to do in rugby as well. You can't just, as you said, micromanage and control everything. You, you need the playing group to be able to take control and ownership of their actions and, and how they want to sort of play the game, but also how they want to build the team and, and create that team that is... Uh, like a brotherhood or a sisterhood um, mm. and just be able to own those mistakes, own the, own it when, when it's going good, when it's going bad. And just, yeah, I think it's a great way to build a really good team um, and really get the best out of your players as well. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think one of the things rugby's taught me as well is um, having like getting 15 just random people to play a game and, like it, yeah, it's just incredible if you can get 15 people to come together work hard as you said do those hard fitness sessions go to the gym um, also have some good times off the field as well 
and to play rugby um you can pretty much do anything in life really like it's yeah, yeah it's just it's just yeah. a great sport to learn a, a lot of life lessons and, and just listening from you just then it's awesome to see that you've carried these lessons into the business and the business yeah. is definitely booming yeah well um I've, I've got a story to touch base on that a few uh as i've told you in the shop i've actually gone back to play rugby uh like casual rugby and it's for vikings we had a game against goulburn three weeks ago and um from our perspective like a lot of the calls weren't going our way you know and and sort of like life these are one of those things that i said that can sort of make you go away from your processes so we you know like you played vikings it's very structured there's a very there's a lot of clarity behind your game plan and what you have to stick to and um, because we had like two tries disallowed in the first half that I didn't see a reason why they should have been disallowed. And some of the boys are feeling like that. And then, you know, we're dominating the contact area, but then we'd give away these penalties and it just marched Goldburn in to score two tries on us. And then from there, um, a lot of the boys went away from the process. And then it was a good example for me to see visually. Like I said, visually, it's not just spoken about like a business class or having to learn it in life. You could visually see us start to go away from what we were taught at training or the processes and start to play a little bit individual and, you know, weren't getting anywhere at half time. I think we've got a, a yellow, two yellow cards as well. At half time, the coaches are just reminding us that we've got structures in place and we just need to go back to that no matter what the ref's doing. We did that. We we're able to claw our way back to uh, a draw, um, which I thought was pretty impressive because a lot of the teams I've played with, or even in life, when you're dealing with business, things like that are always going to happen in life where, you know, things are happening in such a way that you feel like nothing's working out. And then you start to rely on emotions or like that game playing individually, like doing a little chip and chase out of your 22, feeling like you need to save the team. Um, but having real clarity on, on some processes outside of how you feel, I think like that rugby game and like rugby teaches you has always helped me in business. There's a lot of times in business that, you know, the way life's happening where you feel like I need to do something, you know, or you start to feel erratic or make emotional decisions and um, you know, it never works out. It's just trusting the process. And if the process doesn't seem to work, then you go back and sit down and rewrite it, you know, but those sort of things, I think I wish I understood earlier when I was playing rugby, you know, not, not now, but you know, at least the lessons there for business. Mm. And if you got those those structures in place and and the values of the business or the team, it makes it a lot easier to get back on the the mm. train. Like if that makes sense, like it, it's it's easy to get back onto the the process and trust that again. Especially if you've gone away from the the process, and mm. yeah, if you got those values and structure, it definitely makes it easier to remind yourself. Oh yeah, that's what we were talking about. Or I do remember us having that talk about. Um, these certain yes. values let's get back to those values um, and really make the team better and again you'll make um, the performances out on the field or in your business um, better mm. as well yeah yeah that's awesome so you've had the opportunity to play for different rugby clubs how important is culture and a sense of community within the club for you um i, I can't say honestly that i've understood the the community aspect of it or maybe that's because I don't spend much time with the clubs I play for outside of training and the games. But um, with, with culture, I don't know if this is answering the question correct, but I was actually talking to some of the boys about that. And um, I think uh, for me, uh, even though this is just a casual season, playing for the Vikings, I've noticed uh, 
you know, a strong culture and, and it's built, you know, I've just seen a lot of games that in previous clubs that I played for, we would have got, you know, done by 50 points, like that Goldburn game, because a lot of people would, would give up on that process or give up on the, you know, the understanding you have on the game plan. I just think Vikings has little structures in place where uh, it'll weed out people that don't want to put in the hard work. You know, and I, and I hear a lot about that before before I got got to the club. You know, you always hear negative things about um, there being too much uh, political um, structures happening there that don't give people the opportunity. But I think um, since I've been there, it's definitely, um, I think it's important to have a club that doesn't allow people to, you know, not put in all their effort for the club and for your mates that are there. And this is definitely a club, like, it's unfortunate that it's like my last year playing footy. But um, I wish I was a part of the club earlier because uh, just the structures they have behind training, behind um, having trainer, professional trainers there, you know, physios there. And like, I think an uh, example for me is I, I was, I've been in rehab a long time. And I think I did, did the rehab out in the field. And they said, oh, you got to go in the gym and do this, this sort of work. And so when I got there, I think like, you know, I was like, I'm older. It doesn't really matter. I'm just going to do whatever. Well, they've actually already communicated by radio to the person in the gym that this is the sort of things that I have to do. So when I got there, you know, like I was forced to do probably the most fitness I've done in four, four years. And I think like little things like that, a lot of people probably wouldn't want to show up every Tuesday and Thursday and, and get flogged like that. But if you have resilience, you know, you'll definitely stay involved with the club. So I think, um, yeah, there's definitely elements of respect there for the trainers and stuff. There's a lot of other clubs where I've seen players not show respect to the trainers, not show respect to, uh, you know, coaches and things like that. And I think it's because there's other things happening that invite people of that, those sort of morals and values into the club. So, so for me, I think it's important that, you know, you create an environment that is only going to keep hardworking honest people are definitely people that are involved with your values like you were sort of saying earlier i think if, if if the club has a clear vision of what those morals and values are and they set up their training or or their their you know coaches players to be in alignment with that then they'll weed out the people that might have a negative influence which is what i found at other clubs you know there's been good people at other clubs and then there's probably people that you know ruin ruin the culture a bit so i don't know if that answers your question but that's something we were talking about in the um in the barbershop lately mm, so no, like the yeah it definitely answers the question and it's it's really cool to see that 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 work ethic is still there so i was yeah. i played for vikings back in 2014 was my first season and this is what coming on eight, nearly 10 years post that. And it's really cool to see the hard work culture is still there. So when I got there, uh, one of my first gym sessions, um, just cause my, my uh, Ben, um, who's on the podcast, Ben Norcott, mm-hmm. he brought me down to ha- have a look at the club and he's like, you can go in there and do a gym session. And I was busted at the time I, I did my ankle. So I was just doing some upper body stuff. And I got to meet Rodney Iona for the first time and Lixley Leofano. Uh, Christian's yep. uh, older brother and I think uh, Jerome was in there as well I can't remember his last name and just seeing them work harder and being welcome like really welcoming um, to mm. me uh, made me want to come there and also seeing just just um, people who were the same age as me out there on the field working hard was really really mm. cool and yeah it's just great to see a culture where they 
want people to work hard and put the work in for each other because that's going to show out on the field and we're there for one another when the when the times are really tough and we, we celebrate together when the times are good as well so yeah it's really cool to see that that culture is still continuing on at a club that i, I do hold um, very close to my heart mm. i wish i was there earlier <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. good so following up from that that question around culture and community the great thing about rugby is learning and embracing different cultures within the club majority of the rugby clubs i have been with have had a strong polynesian culture and community in your eyes how important is it to have a strong polynesian culture and community within rugby clubs uh i think if you just start at how influential Polynesian people are in, in, in rugby, I can't remember the number. I don't want to say, you know, give fake stats on your podcast. Um, but it was a ridiculously high number of how many Polynesians were just in, uh, in the rugby league under 20s comp, you know, and then even, even for, for Union, I think, um, you know, they play an important part. And unfortunately, I feel anyways, um, they haven't progressed with the rest of developing countries. There's a lot of countries who are developing a lot faster where I feel like you can almost argue Polynesian teams are going backwards. I think for me, um, definitely lessons in the barbershop I found is that you can't get the best out of everyone by giving everyone the same sort of, uh, you know, diagnosis or, or giving them the same information. I've definitely seen like, and because I understand Polynesian culture, um, you're not going to get the best out of them if you don't know how to communicate to them, you know? And I think um, little things like uh, I was reading Graham Henry's book a couple of years ago and he told me, well, not told me, but said in the book, um, <laughs> he, in the book he mentions that uh, before a game, he would sort of talk about or try and rev the boys up with an inspirational speech. I guess he got it from movies and things like that. Um, it wasn't until Tana Umanga came up to him and sort of asked him, like, who's the, who's the motivational uh, speeches for? And Henry says in the book that you sort of taken back. He didn't, didn't understand, never thought about it that way. Uh, Umanga went on to, to progress and say that, you know, a lot of the Polynesian boys in this team, which if you look at the All Blacks, probably, you know, 14 out of the starting 15 have a Polynesian background. For them, uh, they don't get anything out of it. You know, it almost makes them feel like, you know, like it's like it's makes them feel a bit off, you know, going into a game. I think I've seen that in a lot of the teams that I played for, even at Vikings, you know, when, when they try and set up professional things like um, getting players to come to, uh, you know, uh, sort of talk on nutrition and things like that. There's they sort of take it as a joke and think it's funny. So I think there's definitely ways that you can communicate or have to find a way to communicate to the Polynesian boys to get the best out of them. Um, you know, like uh, culturally, there's things at home, definitely in the barbershop that I'm, I'm aware of. When I was brought up in, in a Tongan home, you weren't to look at your parents in the eye. You know, there was no eye contact because that was very, you know, rude or offensive. Uh, and you definitely don't speak. You're not really ever given opportunities to advise anyone. Definitely in your house, if you're the youngest, you, you know, you're not the oldest, your father will always be. So I think when they come into rugby teams, you know, a lot of coaches can just think that they don't want to participate or they, they don't want to um, give any input in the team or, you know, they're not interested when really it might be things like how they were raised at home, you know? So I think it's definitely important, I think, for, for coaches that probably have players that are earmarked to be really great 
to try and find different ways to communicate to these boys, you know? Uh, and I think um, you were, you were talking about, or I think you sent it in the email to me, um, things like Polynesian culture or Polynesian round, I think it's a perfect way to, to give uh, some of the players a, a voice to be confident and, and show how, how much leadership they, they do have. Those things are really great. I also think it's, it's also, I don't know how far coaches and, and clubs want to go, but understanding what the culture is like so that they can better understand how to communicate and, and get these boys to participate and be the leaders that they can be within the, in the club. Mm. I, I love that. I didn't know that about um, yeah, the, the Polynesian community growing up in, in the house. So I think that's awesome. And yeah, if you're a coach who happens to be able to coach a Polynesian um, individual and you probably don't understand that why they're not looking at you because in my yeah. eyes get like looking at me would be respectful whereas if you have your head down looking at the ground maybe you're not really listening so it's really yeah. cool to, to to learn that and say oh no they're actually really listening they're probably listening with intent and and mm. i'm really taking in what what you're saying um yeah. but yeah it's, if you can understand their story then you can coach them to the best ability um, and you can get more out of them. Whereas if, yeah, if you're just sort of stuck in one way and like, oh, he's not doing that or she's not really listening to me, like what's wrong with them? That's mm. just not the right way to go about it. And if, yeah, if you learn more, then just like I've been saying to everyone lately really is if you can understand that person's story, it, it goes mm. a massive way to getting the best out of them. Yeah. Well, in, in the shop, you know, we've got certain aspects of, you know, we have to deal with a lot of people. We're in communication with a lot of people, with clientele, um, greeting clients, you know, performing a consultation with the client and then a post-consultation afterwards. And I think um, what I've noticed, like a lot of us in the shop are Tongan. So I've already known right away, uh, having, having uh, talks with a lot of them is how can we... Uh, best get these things out of them because a firm handshake and eye contact like you said in the Australian culture is respectful you know whereas if you if you feel like it's too rude for you to put your hand down your heads down and you don't want to ask too many questions in the consultation you know you'll have clients that probably feel like you, you're not confident in what you're doing so it's been it's been good to even have that knowledge for a barbershop I definitely think like you said it would be beneficial for coaches if they start to take those sort of things on board mm. And yeah, that's awesome. I, and I definitely agree with you in terms of having a, a Polynesian round. Um, it wasn't something until I got to um, grade rugby and playing with Vikings that um, I got to experience this because at school, it just wasn't a thing because you're a Catholic school and it's, I don't know, it's just not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so having these Polynesian rounds, we got to try some really, really good food. And it was a massive, mm. massive feed and it was just a really good time and some great music. And you got to wear your cool um, button up top that was um, a, a Polynesian top. And yeah, it was just a really good experiences. And all the clubs that I've been to have had something like that. Um, and it's been really cool to interact and get to understand um, the cult, their culture. Um, so if persons from Samoa are trying their food or from Tonga are trying their food and just understanding that, it just makes me feel like I'm connecting with them more and it's just growing um the culture within the club and every time i've done it i've loved it i really enjoy it um and i think it's also cool so my last rugby club 
uh, Wes, they raised money for Tonga. So when Tonga had those natural disasters, it was a great time for the club to come together and raise money for a good cause because they recognize that the Tonga community has had, had such a massive influence on their mm. culture in the club. So it's really cool to see when something goes wrong that they also give back when times are tough. It's not just when times are good, they also give back, yeah, when times mm. are tough. So, yeah, it's just a great way to um, acknowledge the Polynesian community and, yeah, the clubs that have done it, I've really enjoyed my time there and it's just made the club better. Hi, everyone. We just wanted to take a break from this episode. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far and also all the content we have produced. We appreciate all the support from our listeners and followers so far. If you haven't already, sign up to Elite Rugby SNC newsletter today. We provide you free exclusive content each and every single week to our subscribers. Link in the bio. Remember to like, subscribe and share Elite Rugby SNC on social media to all your friends and families. So thanks again for your support and now back to the episode. And you're also giving uh, these players, families an opportunity, like you said, to, you know, the food and things like that, giving their mothers an opportunity to... Um you know, to uh, get involved with the club as well, you know, uh, which is, you know, Polynesian culture is all about family. So if you can find ways to do that, you only strengthen your ties with, with those families, right? Mm, 100%. So for everyone listening or, or watching on YouTube, and yes, we do have a YouTube channel if you want to go there and uh, give us a like, subscribe and uh, follow on that one. So today, we're not obviously, as you have been listening, we're not just talking about rugby here. We're also talking about, Ben being a barber and hands down is, is one of the best barbers in the game in my eyes. And a lot of people would, would say that as well. So when did you start cutting hair and when did you say, say to yourself, I want to become a barber, but I also want to become one of the best to do it. Um, six, you know, six years ago that I started or when I made the decision to do barbering. So I think growing up in Tonga, like I said, you're playing rugby, but also there wasn't, there's a bit more now, but back then there definitely wasn't any, uh, you had to be more self-reliant. So there wasn't barbershop. So there's not like a sparky that you can call up or plumbers, you know, a lot of people learn things on their own. So I always had like a bit of, uh, you know, always dabbled with it a little bit, but it wasn't until like six years ago. So I think 2016, 2015, yeah. Um, is when I started, you know, decided like, this is, this is what I want to do. And um, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it more, but rugby sort of helped me learn how to pursue something, you know, with more professionalism and with more intent. I think rugby, you know, I didn't, uh, didn't have those attributes or, or knowledge when I was trying to pursue rugby, but I definitely learned a lot of lessons from not being able to go as far as I wanted to. Um, and, you know, when I got into barbering, I sort of put all those lessons into that and it, it's, it's been good now. You know, I uh, won the, the Australian Barber Award this year. So I think um, a lot of the things tie into everything. You know, a lot of those lessons you get from, from rugby. Mm, 100%. I think it, did, it just reminds me of myself as well. At school, I, I just didn't really want to be at school. All I wanted to do was just mm. play rugby. And mm. I just really loved it. And then once I finished school, I was like, shit, what, what do I want to do? I don't, I, don't, I don't know what I want to do. And yeah. and it ended up pursuing a, a career in like SNC and health and fitness and all those lessons that I've learned to put hard work in and to see the results has come from rugby. Cause yeah. I remember going to yeah, grade. I spoke about this in the last podcast episode coming to grade rugby. I was 110 kilos. So I was a bit overweight. I wasn't really happy. And then I did all that hard work and I dropped down to a hundred and then I was yeah. playing around 103, 105. And 
it was just the best time of my career. Like I, I worked hard and I could see the results straight away. And that's mm. definitely come across to my career now being an SNC coach of putting that hard work in, you're going to see the results and it's going to take mm. some time. But if you trust that process, the results will come. And rugby's definitely taught me that. No. Well, that's what I, actually what I wanted to do before. I was, saying, I was working public service and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and SNC coaches, like we've spoken about in the shop, was actually the first thing I wanted to pursue. Um, I dabbled in that for a little bit, but once I realized, sorry, kudos to you for all the hard work you're putting in. Once I realized how much effort it was going to take for a little return, you know, um, I think for me at the time too, I'm, I'm older. So I was like, you know, do I want to do this or should I just pursue the barbering? And, um, you know, went down the, went down the barbering path. Mm. And it's definitely a good path that you went down because you're doing an amazing job. And it's definitely one of my, definitely is my favorite place to go get a cut. Thank you. (laughs) So you've had the opportunity to cut many great athletes hair over the years. Who have been some of the most memorable athletes to come through? Well, uh, I have to shout out Rodney uh, Yonga from the from the Brumbies. He he trusted me before I actually went away and did my barber training. You know, he was always giving me the opportunity, uh, you know, plugging some of the Brumbies boys to come and help out. So big shout out and and kudos to Rodney. Um, but I have to say, <laughs> I have to say it had to be Richie Monga, which Rodney set up again. You know, uh, the Crusaders boys came down and and um, hit him up asking, like, who's, who's a barber to get down to? Like, who, who can we contact you to get a haircut? And um, Rodney threw my name out there. So you know, I'd like to say it's Rodney, but probably, probably Richie Momo is a, was a pretty cool experience. You know, like, I think um, just the team that he plays for, you know, being an all-black and, and being a very good all-black, um, you know, and me loving rugby so much, you're always going to get a little bit starstruck seeing guys like that. Um yeah, yeah, def- definitely, definitely Richie Mongo would probably be the biggest one out there. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one of the best players in, in world rugby and has been for the last probably like four or five years. And it was great to see him play the other week in the starting number 10 jersey. And it's something that we've talked about as well, that I think this year Richie should have been the starting 10 for, for the All Blacks just because of the form and, and how well the Crusaders have been playing. And he just has that mm-hmm. X factor. I'm not saying Bowden Barrett's not good, it's just... I think Richie has been a bit better this year and yeah, it was really good to see him start last week and, and put a good performance in. Mm, yeah. So a quote that I um, found was um, never underestimate the power of a barber. And I a hundred percent agree with that quote. So you have a superpower being a barber because a person can be having a shit day and just things aren't going right, but you can change that mood by having a really good conversation with that person. And, understanding the story and provide advice or just just listen to them because some people just need someone to listen and you make them feel so much better by getting a fresh cut as well if you ever get a fresh cut you feel so much better about yourself you feel confident what are your thoughts about that yeah i think uh teaching the class today at cit is something that i spoke about and i think a lot of barbers don't realize how how much potential they have in their career how much they can do how much they do affect them to affect people uh, like like you were talking about. Um, yeah, you just come across so many different walks of, uh, of life. You know, we learn a lot as barbers as well. I think, you know, every client I'm learning, you know, like when you come into the shop, I'm learning about, 
different strength and conditioning techniques or even team building, you know, the knowledge you've had, uh, even if it has nothing to do with that, you reading a book and passing the knowledge on from there. So um, I definitely think, uh, yeah, like it's one of the biggest things that I'm teaching at the moment is for, for barbers to take ownership and responsibility for upskilling so that they can perform a better service for the clients and realizing that clients are looking for that out there. Cause there are a lot of shops at the moment that um, sort of treat barbering like a, like a time limit thing, you know, how fast can I get this guy in and out? Um, whereas you can build such strong relationships with people, you know, it's such a, a unique job. I guess you would understand it with SNC, you know, you're spending, you're not just, performing an actual technical skill but you're getting to know these people and um you know be multiple different things other than just being a strength and conditioning coach or a barber you're you could be their therapist you know you could become one of their best mates you know um and like you said little things like uh a haircut changes people's mood uh drastically so yeah i definitely think um uh, it's got a lot of positives to it. It can be a, a negative experience too, because it's one of the only jobs that you get judged in real time as you're going along, you know, but yeah, um, definitely the best decision I've ever made working in barbering, uh, especially if you, if you put that time and effort into your skill and, and consultation, things like that, you can have uh, a lot of amazing experiences, you know, at the, at the public service, I think, you're, you're getting a lot of work in the middle or at the end or at the beginning. You never see the whole process of that, that service or whatever you're doing. Could be an email that you're passing on or an email that you're giving information to, but you're never a part of the whole process. And I think one of the biggest rewards of barbering is that from start to finish, I'm seeing the beginning of, of a project and the end. And, and it's happening pretty quick, you know, from 30 minutes to an hour. I get to see that out the whole process from its beginning stage to the completion and um, having that client, you know, uh, be happy with the result and tell you you've done a good job, you know, is, is pretty rewarding feeling. Like there's not many jobs where you can get that every 30 minutes to an hour, getting, uh, getting congratulations for your work. You know, there's not many jobs out there like that. And not just the congratulations on your work, but it could be, um, advice or a listening ear where you've helped someone out mentally you know so i think uh yeah there's definitely a lot of positive things that can come out of barbering that you can't get in many professions 100 percent agree with that. i love that that's awesome mm. so what advice do you have for people wanting to become barbers um I, I guess again going back to a lot of the classes i teach for me i think you have to have intent uh, on what kind of barber you want to be uh, so that there's more clarity on the journey that's going to happen ahead. For me, I knew right away, I, I read a book called Good to Great. And it was actually harder than I thought, but it actually asked you to do something that you believe you can be the, the best in the world at. And I don't think it's really about you competing with other people. It's just you want to do something that you believe you can be that good at. And um, it actually took me a while. I read the book and I was like, well, I want to, I want to be the best barber in the world, but I couldn't say it to myself in the mirror. I couldn't even write it down. It took like a few days to be able to even look at myself and take myself seriously. But I think in doing that, and this is what we talk about in the shop as well, in doing that, writing down, I wanted to be the best barber in the world. It created a lot more intention in the things that I was 
or created boundaries in the things I was willing to accept and not accept in, uh, in any experience. So if I had, uh, I think when I wrote that, I started out as an apprentice at a barbershop here in Canberra. And there were just little things that I didn't agree with. And it was then and there that I realized that if I wanted to have these sort of experiences, my boundaries didn't allow me to stick it out there. I actually went overseas to get training from people that were sort of highly spoken about in the industry as being the best. Um, so I think like having intent, my advice to barbers is to have intent of what kind of barber you want to be, the experiences you want, so that there's more clarity around your boundaries of what you accept and and what you want to pursue. And I think everything that I do from opening up the shop to hiring staff and things like that, there's a lot of intent and care because I do want it to, to be this monumental, you know, great thing. Uh, and it's not really about it ever getting there, but more about that journey along the way, you know? And again, those things I think came from rugby and even SNC stuff. When I wanted to do that, I always had intent of finding out who's got the experiences that I want. Hmm. That's, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, if, if you think that was that what Ben just said was just talking about barbershop, um, it's, or just being a barber, it's not, it's, it's literally anything in life. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, if you haven't re- written any, any advice down from what he just said, then you, you should be, cause I'm taking mental notes right now. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Oh, thank so, you. Now it wouldn't be a rugby and SNC podcast if we didn't ask this question. So, how has strength conditioning helped you in your rugby career? Uh, rugby career, sorry. And what have you learned over your career as well? Um, SNC. I think I didn't really. It was my last year of footy. I was playing um, first grade for East. Uh, it was my last year of footy that I realized I wanted to have a, like a good crack at having not trying to pursue further in my career, but definitely wanted to have a better experience out of my rugby. And then um, it was then that I sort of realized uh, the sort of beautiful thing of having curiosity. So like we've spoken about when you're in the shop, I sort of tried to find out who was training the All Blacks and the Wallabies and, and guys like that. And I think back then it was Ashley Jones. I can't, I don't really know if that's true and I don't want to say things aren't true, but mm. Ashley Jones is a name that sticks out to me. Uh, and it was the first time that I started to realize, you know, different things of having that, like talking about intent again, watching and reading Ashley Jones and then finding the elite FTS website with the archives in there. And, you know, Louis Simmons, like we've spoken about, or Buddy Morris, and guys like that sort of, made me realize how to train for a sport. And again, going back to having intent and having boundaries of what you're willing to accept and not accept. I think when I was coming up, it was all about, you know, doing a 3K jog. Uh, and, and when I found these guys, I realized like I can structure my program in a way. I think structuring my program in a way or even like working with you and stuff, like realizing like where I was weak uh, in certain movements. Um, definitely helped me gain more confidence on the field, you know, because I was moving this way in the gym with intent. So it gave me more purpose or more confidence that I could perform those movements out on the field. I think for me, I don't know if this is true. You can tell me if it's wrong, but um, Chris and I always joke about this. When we were training to go back for one game last year, we were doing the um, Louis Simmons Westside Barbell uh, program and I remember we were doing box squats with uh, 25% band tension at 50% of your one rep max. And um, it ended up being like heavier than a prop would be. 
you know, heavier than a prop. So <laughs> Chris and I were like looking at each other in the gym. We're like, if we can squat this in under a second, we're doing three reps in under a second. We can definitely whack like any prop out there. Now it might be faulty science, but during the game, I think going back to your question, like because we had that sort of confidence from strength and conditioning it gave us more confidence on the field, you know, because you're preparing in a more professional, you know, more uh, intent way. Um, life uh, lessons from strength and conditioning. I think going back to what we've spoken about earlier is just process, you know, um, you might not get those lifts, but I can't get emotional and, and change the numbers, you know, like, especially on a, a, a strategic uh, program like Louis Simmons, it's got percentages and things that you need to work to. And, you know, there's not day, there's days that you'll feel like you should lift heavier, or there's days that you feel like you might want to lift less, but having those sort of objective numbers outside of how you feel, you know, and sticking to those things is probably the biggest lesson that I've taken from, from strength and conditioning. And it goes back to what you said, a lot of these principles that we learn in rugby and strength and conditioning also transfer over to, to the barbershop and barbering. And I've structured my whole business based off a lot of things I've learned in, in the gym and, and on the rugby field. Mm. I love that mm. comment about strength and conditioning, building your confidence to be able to play because there's, there's probably a lot of kids who, and, and young teenagers who you feel like you're not the biggest player out in the field and you get dominated a little bit in certain areas. And if mm. you can learn to follow a good strength and conditioning program, which allows you to get stronger, fitter, or faster, but in a good controlled way, not just blowing up overnight, um, mm. you can then apply that force to the game and you feel more confident and then you can start enjoying the game as well because no one wants mm. to be the kid getting run over or you're just getting dominated and everything like that. So I'll definitely like 100% agree. It, it raises your confidence up so you can continue to play the game. And it was, it was definitely the same with me. Like my confidence was a bit down um, going my first year in Colts because I was like, oh, I'm playing kids a year older than me. I'm, this is quite intimidating, but... It wasn't until like a couple of games in that I more like half the season in that I realized I'm actually strong enough and fit enough to to match these these guys that I'm playing against. And if I didn't have that SNC program, I probably wouldn't have had that confidence. And I probably would have just continued to be like, oh, I'm, I'm a bit scared to take that um, hit up or make that tackle. So, yeah, I definitely agree with what you just said then. Mm. So, a new. Would say segment on the podcast that we introduced last week uh, with Matt Ferrelli from the Raiders was Triple H. So a hardship, hero, and a highlight. So this is getting to know you better. So first off, hardship. Can you think of a hardship in your rugby career that stands out? And how did you get through this hardship? And, and what did you learn as well? Um, I think I didn't learn the lesson immediately, and it's it's unfortunate that I didn't learn the lesson during playing rugby. But the lesson definitely has helped me now with barbering and uh, and running a business. And the the thing was is that when I was younger, um, I was always faster and stronger than everyone when I was younger, which is a common theme with a lot of Polynesian kids. It's a common theme with most of my cousins, um, and sort of always earmarked to go and do bigger things. So I think like even though I didn't know it and it's very easy to be humble and it's very easy to accept compliments when things are going good, when they're, when they're great. It wasn't until I came over to Australia for grade rugby out of school. And um, the unfortunate thing is I never, never played. Um, like I said, in Tonga, there was no structure or anything. 
And I came over to Sydney to play for Ranwick. And um, I think I was always one of those players. Um, my coach at East, uh, John Ross, who, he played Wallabies. He always said things like, I had all this skill and talent at training. And he's like, if you could just find a way to, to put that into the, to the field, to the game. And I think those sort of things got, uh, my confidence got down when I was young and I came over for Colts because I'd been told my whole life that I was always the best player in every team. You know, I was always, I knew secretly in the back of my mind, I knew any team I went to, I would play any position that I wanted, you know? Uh, and when I came over to Australia uh, and played, played for Randwick, um, I slowly started getting dropped down to, you know, to Colts. You get dropped down the grades and then you're getting moved from your preferred position to other positions. And um, for me, I didn't know how to handle the adversity. So I left the club before the season was over and um, decided I was going to look for a new club. I ended up in Canberra and um, same thing happened. I'd end up at a club. I would get the, the role that I wanted. And then after the first trial game, I'd get dropped down the grades and then moved around in different positions and then I leave again so I think the hardship for me is like I didn't know how to handle adversity and I think now with the things we've spoken about on this podcast uh, and with business is there's going to be multiple things like that game in Goldman that I was talking about that make you feel like things aren't working out and you can rely on emotional uh, or emotions to sort of deal with the problem or you can ride through that adversity like the yellow card, like the ref blowing the whistle every five minutes against you and just trust that the process is going to work. And that's happened a few times now. Like I would never think I'm only playing, you know, fourth grade. Um, and I haven't always got a starting role. Uh, previously, I would have probably left the club, you know, to go to another club. And now I've, my mindset, sort of like the values and the morals I've written down on paper for business have sort of just transferred over is that I'm first trying to do what's best for the team. And then try and find out ways to communication, what I can do better, you know, and then in those processes, you know, the rest will take care of itself because that's how it's happened in barbering. Barbering hasn't always been a smooth ride, but, you know, if I trust the process, it just seems to be a byproduct. There's always success at the end of the road, you know, like the, like the award that, that I won this year. Um, and if I was asked how to win the award, it would be what I've told you right now that it hasn't always been a smooth journey. There's been a lot of times where I've questioned my skill level as a barber. Um, mm. But yeah, and that all, that all came from rugby, is uh, realizing how to, to trust the process and, and stick to things outside of how you might feel emotionally. Maybe open ways of communication with coaches of why aren't you getting these opportunities, you know? And mm. instead of running away from the problem or the hardship, taking ownership, you know, for what the coach has given you, and um, showing them that you can improve on those little things, you know, that they've asked you to. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Mm. So who is your hero and why is that person your hero? Um, I would have to say uh, my, my grandmother. So she's still, she's still in Tonga. And um, like, a lot of, like a lot of Polynesian cultures, I'm very close-knit with family. Um, my grandma raised us and she's raised, she's raised me and my brother. And then she's also raised some of our other, uh, you know, cousins and stuff. And I think uh, it's not until you get older that you realize how much effort and sacrifice goes into to raising kids. So um, I think I've done all right for, you know, a single, single lady raising a bunch of kids, uh, especially in a country like Tonga, you know, 
we don't have the same opportunities or the same access to information that we do here in Australia. And, and sometimes I catch myself thinking like, you know, I've opened up this shop, I'm, I'm running a business, um, you know, it's done well. We won some awards this year, Chris and I, and I just think for a lady in Tonga to, to raise me in a way where I've been able to achieve things like this, sometimes I'm pinching myself because I'm like, you know, when I got to Australia, I didn't even know how to open up a, a bank account, <laughs> which is hard for a lot of people to believe. But when I got here, I had to ask my uncle who lived here. I was like, you know, I don't know how to open up a bank account. And this job says I need a bank account, you know, didn't know how to go and get a license, like things like that. And, and to see how far I've come with not a lot of information behind me, I think I'd have to, to give, uh, you know, all that to her, like, and, and the, the values and morals that she raised us with. That's incredible. That's awesome. She mm. sounds like a wonderful lady. Yeah. So highlight, what, what is a highlight that stands out in your rugby career? Um, hold on. Uh, highlight in my rugby career, I think, um, I'm going to have to say just playing fourth grade for Vikings. It's probably been the most, uh, it's like, like we've spoken about in the shop, it's, it's the most uh, fun uh, I've had in a long time, probably before I left Tonga, you know, when I was playing as a kid. Um, and I think that just comes back to, to how I view the game and how I view life now, you know, and some people are equipped with those things at a younger age. Unfortunately, I wasn't equipped with being able to see the game that way, you know, uh, from a, from a, um, more from an aspect of how to carry yourself, you know, not, not sort of playing the game, but more of an aspect of how to hold yourself accountable and things like that. I just didn't, wasn't equipped or didn't understand those things when I was younger. Whereas now it's been, been a lot of fun. You know, I think, uh, this podcast will do, do some, uh, youngsters, uh, a lot of good if they can, um, you know, get more information like this out there for them, especially, you know, I'm pretty sure you've seen it in your time with SNC, uh, seeing a lot of talented kids that probably could go a lot further than, um, where they're at, if they could understand some of these principles. Yeah. hundred mm, percent. Mm. That's awesome. So what, what other advice? Cause that was some really good advice. Then do you have for up and coming rugby athletes? Yeah, I think um, uh, going back to what we spoke about in this podcast is first uh, writing down with some intent of what you want. I think if anyone's ever or, or finding out information on how people who have achieved the success that you want, how they've done it, whether that's reading a book. Uh, you know, I read a lot of books on, on a lot of coaches, watching documentaries. There's a lot of documentaries out there that Richie McCall and, uh, and Dan Carter have books and documentaries out at the moment. And it's just, getting insight into how they view life and the game and trying to understand uh, how you can adapt some of those principles. You know, it's not all about the skill and everything. It's important to have the skill, but I think uh, the skill can be sort of misplaced if you don't have those sort of uh, attributes as a human being. I think we've heard about it a lot. The All Blacks always say um, great people make great All Blacks. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys who you've watched in Super Rugby uh, who are great athletes and great players, but they never get to the to the All Blacks. You know, there's a few of those over the years that you could probably think about. So I think, yeah, um, I would have had a better career if uh, if I understood some of those principles, you know. So for any youngster out there, writing intent of what you want to be, what you want to achieve, and then working backwards from there, how do I become 
that person? How do I instill those values? How do I instill those morals? And those things I think will sort of the, the motivation and the discipline to do the extras, you know, find strength and conditioning coaches like yourself, um, you know, watch rugby games to learn, ask coaches what you can do better. All those things will be a byproduct of the, the initial things that we just spoke about. Mm. Um, yeah. I love that. And definitely agree. It's like, and like a, a key advice I, I like to give people as well is if you're going to go play rugby after school at a certain club, go have a look at what that culture is and the community and, and how hard that team trains. And if it's something that, aligns of your values awesome go there mm. but if it doesn't do you think you, you can become a better player and also add value to that team because mm. yeah if that if that club doesn't really have a good culture around training or anything like that you're probably not going to progress as a player and you you can go there if you just want to have fun 100 go mm. there but if you're wanting to try and make it in rugby and really have a good career try and find that club and or organization that aligns with your values and can also make you a better person but you can also bring something to that team as well and there that's just something that i got out from what, what you were just saying then and yeah just, some, just something i love to tell young young athletes when they're starting to finish school and like oh shit where should i go play rugby i'm just like just find somewhere that yeah that can help you become a better athlete but you can also help their club as well hmm. So that's all my questions for today. I think we covered a lot and it was great to understand your story a lot more. And I've definitely learned a lot um, from this podcast and I really, really enjoyed my time um, getting to talk to you again. Um, where can listeners find you on social media? So the Instagram is where I'm most active and it's uh, at Benjamin Twitter, T-U-I-T-A. Um, that's the that's the handle for Instagram, uh, and that's that's basically where they can find me. Or uh, the Boyinco. Actually, this is embarrassing. I don't know the Boyinco um, at on uh, the handle on Instagram. Chris oh, is wow. always changing it. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, yeah, Benjamin Tweeter on Instagram is where they'll find me, and I've got links all to the to the business page. That's Either that, or I'm trying to just keep all the clients to myself yeah yeah just trying to get the following for yourself i did yeah. just search it up on uh instagram then it's just boy.an.co um oh, and you'll perfect. see some you'll see some pretty good mugs with some pretty good uh cuts up on there on that page so that, <laughs> thanks again ben for joining me today it's been awesome and i know everyone will get a lot out of this podcast and yeah it was i'm, I'm glad i mentioned this uh last week when i was getting my cut that i wanted to bring you on it, it's been awesome and, and thank you again no worries. Thanks so much for having me. So thanks for tuning into another episode of Elite Rugby SNC podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and rate Elite Rugby SNC on Spotify, YouTube, and follow us on Instagram. Sign up to become a beast today via the link in the description or via Instagram page. Also, sign up to our newsletter and receive free bonus content each and every single week. So don't wait, make that good decision and join Elite Rugby SNC today and take your game to the next level.